Welcome back to Kinda Cute, and if you're new here, welcome. My name is Bailey Evan, I'm your host, and on Kinda Cute we discuss articles from the cut and my general pop culture musings. So before we get into the meat of everything, a few housekeeping issues, if you will. As you may have noticed, we have a, a brand new Kinda Cute theme song. And so if you hear any new music throughout the podcast, that is thank you to Jordan Cooper. He's a composer and songwriter, and we worked together to kind of come up with the sounds for this. I obviously wanted it to sound like a mixture of, you know, Little Mix, Haley Kiyoko, Zara Larson. I wanted that kind of like Euro pop, really punchy, poppy feel. Uh, and I, I hope we kind of accomplished that. <laughs> I don't know why I'm saying we, like, I did nothing. I just kind of said what I wanted, and he gave me samples, and we went back and forth on them. But it was really great working with him. So if you need a composer for any needs, he was like really reasonably priced. And it was a fun process having a little song made for my use. Okay, other housekeeping issue, and I'm saying it on here to hopefully keep myself accountable. But I know I've been so shite about getting these episodes out on a consistent day. And I've just been kind of playing around to see with what's going to work and what I can stick with. So I think I'm going to try to start uploading on Mondays if that works for you guys, because I've noticed a lot of times you guys, you will listen, if I release on the weekend, you won't listen until Monday anyway, so I'm hoping this won't, you know, screw up anyone's schedule too much, and um, if it does, though, let me know, and, uh, you know, again, I'm flexible, I'm just trying to find something that works, because I know it's really important with podcasts to give you guys consistency, so you know what day to tune in, uh, and I, I want to be able to do that for you. Can you tell I'm really trying to make this venture more professional? I'm trying, guys, I swear. Speaking of weekends, last time I recorded, it was right before Kenzie's birthday celebrations. We had so much fun. We went to Miami for the day, but I tell you guys, like the shadow retrograde period and then Mercury retrograde has been kicking me in the ass as usual. I know I say that every time because every time it kicks me in the ass, like my plans for Kenzie's birthday got screwed up because both trains I had booked for the day got canceled, but once we got on, it was amazing. I love the Bright Line, immaculate vibes. I would love to be the Bright Line spokesperson. It was Formula One going on that weekend. Sadly, no Danny, Rick, or Carlos sign sightings, which those are my two faves. Mm, chef's kiss to them. And we like went out. At, we went to the Breakers, which is this really bougie hotel on the island. So it, was, it always feels like a nice celebratory thing to kind of eat there and make a night of it. And while we were there, there was a wedding going on, and I just so wanted to see what the decor was like. And it was during the reception, like, everyone was on the dance floor, and I just snuck in for a little bit. I took a little video. I was vibing. Then I got a little nervous. Um, I literally don't think anyone noticed me. Like, no one gave a shit. And I was wearing, I was wearing just, like, a kind of, definitely, like, a nighttime tight black dress that definitely, and heels. So it definitely could have uh, passed as, like, very generic wedding wear. <laughs> Yeah, it was just an exciting weekend. We watched Formula One. We watched the Derby. It was such a crazy upset. That was wild. Okay, okay, I know. I'm going to finally get to the meat of this. I just had to fill you in. Really, I just needed to tell you that I snuck into a wedding reception because it is truly one of my goals in life to full-on crash a wedding, and that didn't fulfill the need to me. Like, just going in, taking a quick video, I want to eat the food. I want to drink the drinks. I will say, I think if I had just gone to the bar and ordered a drink, it would not have been an issue. Like... And those drinks at the Breakers are expensive, minimum $19, you know, that kind of place. So I'm, I'm regretting not taking it a step further. Okay, I always like to keep you guys updated on my TikToks that get, like, strange comments or go, like, a little bit viral. And this one literally was just, like, a little – it wasn't even viral. It just got over 10,000 views, which for me is rare. 
Um, and it was about Anna Wintour and her go-to lunch. So recently a biography came out about Anna and the author was interviewed and that was fascinating because she was explaining how Anna wouldn't be interviewed for the biography. And she reached out to so many people. I want to say it was over 200 people. And she realized that the people very close to Anna were hesitant to speak about her, but she kind of prefaced it with insinuating that it wasn't because they were scared of her, but because they respected her. And a lot of them were just close friends with her and they didn't want to go there and say something unkind. But apparently Anna gave her blessing to a lot of her close circle and they were able to speak to the biographer. Anyways, one of the things that really stuck out to me and I think a lot of other people is her go-to lunch order. Now, this was when the Condé Nast offices moved. And when they moved, they became closer to this restaurant called The Palm in New York City. And every day, or I would say almost every day because it was her go-to lunch, from The Palm, she would order a steak and a caprese salad. Now, if you are familiar with the caprese salad, you know they have tomatoes, mozzarella, basil, and then like a little dressing on top, like an oil and vinegar, some salt, you know, very simple. The colors are meant to represent the Italian flag. It's very beautiful, striking on a plate. She would also make sure that her salad came out on a ceramic plate, her steak and salad. So like she wouldn't take it in the, the takeout container. So they would have to literally get a plate from the palm. Like, she didn't just have a plate that this could be plated on at work. Like, so ridiculous. But she would get the caprese salad with no tomatoes. And to me, this is just such a travesty. And that's what I was talking about in my TikTok. I'm like, this is just behavior I cannot get behind. This is sociopathic behavior. And I'm not making light of mental illnesses. I'm just saying, like, this. there's something unhinged about this to the point I can't understand. Because I knew going into this posting this tiktok that people feel very strongly about raw tomatoes a lot of people don't like them i have people in my own family who don't like them and they are one of my favorite things especially when they are in season and ripe and perfect and juicy i love a tomato i get though that not everyone feels that way but this is why i take issue with this order you're not getting a caprese salad if you don't get tomatoes you're getting mozzarella and basil with some oil on top And it's just so odd, and clearly you can tell by her eating choices that she just does not eat carbs. And people are like, well, this is, like, so much better than, you know, Kelly Ripa eating four almonds or, um, you know, veganism. And I'm like, well, actually, no. Well, maybe it is better than Kelly Ripa's diet is insane and also unhinged. But never touching a carb in your life is also worrisome. (laughs) Even though I have people in my family who are like that, but I've seen it can create kind of problematic eating habits. Which I know you're thinking like, duh, of course Anna Wintour has problematic eating habits. But I was just shocked by all the people defending this choice, being like, tomatoes are gross. Like, maybe she's allergic. A lot of people are allergic to nightshades. No, because she also said in this biography that she hates vegetables. And while tomatoes are not technically a vegetable, I guarantee in Anna's mind, they are. Again, TikTok continues to be hilarious to me just by the pure desire people have to wild out over a fairly innocuous comment (laughs) i mean you can't say anything on tiktok without getting chewed apart just a warning if you ever want to say anything even if you don't think it's a hot take on tiktok it will be taken as a hot take (laughs) okay moving on from anna wintour to another rich white fashiony person i just have to give props to candace bushnell's pr team in the cut alone in the past couple of months We've had three entire articles dedicated to her. We covered two of them on this podcast. 
First, we had the one, the newsletter about where Brock Collier goes out with people in the city and talks about going out with them. And she said all those like snarky things about Sarah Jessica Parker. Then we had the one where she talked about the things she can't live without. That was actually in The Strategist, but it's another part of New York Mag. And then we have a full-length article about her that just came out, and it's detailing all of her fashion that she's wearing in her one-woman show at the Carlisle. It's this full spread, all of these pictures in her outfit changes. She looks really amazing in them. And again, it's kind of flippant in the article, like when asked about, you know, whether she should wear Marquesa because Marquesa was made by Georgina Chapman, who's Harvey Weinstein's ex-wife. She's just literally like, whatever. <laughs> like, she continues to just stir the pot. But other than that, the article was pretty boring, and I thought it presented her in a very flattering light, which is kind of in contrast to the first article that The Cut published a few months ago. So I wonder if they got pushback for how she was portrayed in that or if she loved it. Like, I just want to know. It seems like there's some deal. It's, it's really crazy for even a big celebrity to be getting that much coverage in a short period of time in the cut. And I feel like I can say that as someone who's constantly reading their articles. Okay, another crazy thing I want to talk about is the Elizabeth Olsen lie detector test that was done through Vanity Fair. So it's a YouTube video. She's hooked up to a lie detector test and she's just asked these off-the-wall questions. This is a series that they do, but hers was particularly funny and and I found it intriguing that the comments on this YouTube were overwhelmingly very positive, like just loving Elizabeth, calling her Lizzie, talking about how down to earth and how fun she seems. I got really cold vibes from her in the interview, and it kind of made me uncomfortable watching it. But there are hilarious parts. There's a part where she, you know, is asked about Danielle Heim acting in Licorice Pizza because her younger sister starred in it. And I guess Danielle and Elizabeth, uh, they've known each, they went to high school together, known each other for a while. And so she's asked if she thinks she's a better actress than Danielle. And she says, yes, which I mean, I fully agree with that. She's an actress. Danielle's a singer. And then she's caught in a lie. Cause apparently she just like, didn't think she was that great in it. Cause she's like, I think she did good in it, but she's not even being that enthusiastic. And the guy's like lie. <laughs> and as we know, I mean, there's a lot of issues with uh, lie detectors they're historically not accurate that's why they're usually like they're not really allowed at trial most of the time uh but I still thought that was funny and then she was asked if she thinks Benedict Cumberbatch looks like an otter which I thought was such a kind comparison because that man is so odd looking I'm not just saying that to make fun of someone's looks. Like, he's a very successful actor, and he has a very unique face. Like, that's what I mean by odd. He has a... I've never seen someone who looks like Benedict Cumberbatch other than Benedict Cumberbatch. And I just would not compare him to an otter, like, the cutest animals on Earth. Then, this was the part that really, like, got got me tingling in the pop culture <laughs> vibes. She was asked if she's still friends with Chris Evans. And... Or if they still hang out. And she's like, well, you know, we don't really hang out anymore, but I'd say we're still friends. And she got kind of flustered with the question, I felt like. And she was really over-explaining herself. And there's always been rumors that her and Chris Evans dated because they're both in, you know, the Marvel stratosphere. And I felt like that is why she was getting flustered. And, spoiler alert, our blind items today is going to be about Elizabeth Olsen. So keep that fact in mind when we gets that part of the podcast. Also, I have to revert to what I was saying back at the beginning 
when I was talking about Mercury and retrograde, I totally got sidetracked by just like rambling about my weekend. But the whole train issue was in, you know, shadow, the shadow period before Mercury and retrograde. But now it's officially Mercury and retrograde. It started on the 10th and my phone broke. My phone I've had for almost three years just broke, just stopped working. Uh, so now I'm having to wait on a new one. Luckily, I was able to turn it on, but I can't make any calls or get any calls. It's kind of just like a brick right now. And... I just felt like that was such a classic Mercury and retrograde thing to happen. And I'm in a bad mood. And this could be because of the fact that I went off my birth control two months ago to just try to go, you know, let my hormones take their course. Not for any particular reason other than that. Because uh, I've been on it for so long. I'm sorry if I've already mentioned that on here. I just cannot remember. It could be because of that. But it could also be because Mercury and retrograde. And I just don't get in a bad mood very often. And I have just been like pissed at the world. Like I just, I don't want anyone to talk to me. I don't want to be social. I don't really want to do much of anything. Um, so <laughs> I'm sure I'm a total delight to be around right now. And <laughs> I was laughing at this article in the cut that we're not covering in depth, but it was this girl writing in and she was basically saying how she didn't feel you know, desirable because men never slide into her DMs, but they're sliding into her friends all the time. And this article is like a very earnest advice to her. And it, it was very well written, very thoughtful, very kind. But I have to just say that I feel the exact same way because not only are no men sliding into my DMs, except for like a few creepers over the years, very few though. Um, I am still not getting many DMs from you guys. And I know you're out there. I know you're listening. So why can't you just send me a little message to let me know you are a real person and not a podcast bot, which I'm not even sure those exist, but they might. And uh, so this is my chance to plug that I would love it if you reviewed this podcast on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. It's so easy to rate on Spotify. You just click five stars and that's it. It takes one second. It's on the main show page for the account. On Apple Podcasts, you go to the podcast app, go to my show, scroll all the way down to the bottom, and you'll see the option to write a review and rate five stars if you so kindly will. And just remember to follow me on Instagram at Kind of Cute Podcast or at Bailey Evan. I'm also on TikTok at Bailey Evan. And I, again, I would just love to hear with you guys and hear what you would like to hear more about. All right, let's get into our first article of the day. All right, our first article is actually from Esquire, and it's an interview with Spencer Pratt. It might be my most problematic liked person of all time, but I just can't stop liking Spencer Pratt. I find him endlessly entertaining. I would love to have him as a guest on here. He's probably the only white man who would be allowed. <laughs> so it says Spencer Pratt has always understood the assignment. At 38 years old, reality TV's original bad boy is wiser, calmer, and more charming, but he's still searching for one thing. Quote, I want a hit show so fucking bad. This article is by John McDermott, and it opens with Spencer making a sizzle reel for a concept that he hopes to become a hit show. And the concept for the show is about two owners of a place called, and I don't know if I'm saying this right, but it's spelled, if it sounds like it's spelled, it's Cannabiotics, which evidently sells a little wicked weed, a little cannabis, if you will. And I actually think it's a great idea for a television show because weed is having such a moment right now. I mean, obviously it's always been the moment, but it's having a legal moment right now. And you have Seth Rogen, who has his company Houseplant, which is kind of home decor that's been meant to really incorporate weed in a beautiful way. He did a whole tour with Architectural Digest that was basically just an ad for Houseplant. So 
you just see it becoming more and more mainstream. We talked about it here a while ago. Jay Z com- started a company with kind of you know designer weed pre roll joints that you could buy. So I think it's sort of having a moment in almost like the luxury field, especially in California where it's legal for recreational use. You see these really beautiful gummies and they're so artful and they're made out of fresh, you know, they basically California fied, LA fied the weed business. It's probably more fitting to say that they've gentrified it, but at least I know a lot of them are working with initiatives to help people that were incarcerated on weed related crimes because that's such a problem. Those people should not be in jail anymore. That's my opinion. And just the way weed for so many years was used as a ploy to kind of incarcerate minority people in this country. So I know I'm getting off track, but I do think every time you talk about the weed business, you sort of have to acknowledge that because it is a real problem that can kind of get skirted under the rug of this like, ooh, beautiful house plants, like home decor that is one with the weed plant. Okay, so back to Spencer. John, who wrote this article, writes, he imagines a show that's equally about the brand's rise to the top of the cannabis industry as it is about the relationship between Haroni, that's one of the co-owners, and his partner, Nima Samari, one of the most decorated marijuana horticulturists in the world. If that doesn't sound like much of a story arc, then remember the key to a hit reality TV show is not the plot, but the personalities. And I so agree with it. I thought this article did a really good job of kind of touching on what makes good reality TV at its core. And the people who kind of laid the foundation for modern day reality TV. Actually, Spectacle um, is a podcast that kind of runs through the history of reality TV from the very beginning. It starts with one of the first US reality TV shows. It was called An American Family. And that was made back in 1973, if you can believe it. Kind of the earliest prototype of reality TV goes back that far. Sorry, guys, I get so sidetracked talking about reality TV because I just find it endlessly fascinating from a sociological perspective. As an aside, the author says that he got a bag of weed from this place and he described it as the dankest weed he's ever had. So I would say that's a glowing endorsement if I've ever heard one. And then he goes on to say that Pratt's always understood the assignment. The people just want a good show and it's the celebrity's job to give it to them. And then he says, the problem with our always being ahead of your time, though, is you're never successful in the moment. Your ideas can only be appreciated in retrospect after they've been co-opted by those who came in your wake. And I think this is giving Spencer the credit he deserves. First off, I love the mentality that as a celebrity, it is kind of your job to give a show. And I'm not saying that means making a show of your personal life, but if you're a performer and an entertainer, you're bringing entertainment to people in whatever medium is your go-to medium. And... I also just agree with the fact that being ahead of your time means it's really hard to be successful in the moment because sometimes the way society and culture cycles, it takes a little while for things to marinate and for people to appreciate certain forms of entertainment. I kind of liken it to that idea of you get these cult classics that may have bombed at the box office, but then years later, people find such relevance and realize that they have staying power. And I think that's kind of the beauty of Spencer Pratt that he's just kind of always been around, kind of always entertaining. And again, I'm not trying to hype up this man too much, but I just think from a business perspective, he really gets the entertainment world. And I'm kind of shocked that he hasn't been able to parlay this into a really successful show since The Hills. And sort of what I mean by that business mind, I believe I've touched on here before because it's kind of one of my favorite Hollywood stories, everything that surrounds this. But 20 years ago, he filmed A Day in the Life of Brody Jenner. 
because he knew that people at the time were really fascinated by how young people lived in Southern California because you had the OC, you had Laguna Beach. And <laughs> Jenner said to him, I'll let you film me if you show up at 8 a.m. on the dot. The, and he says, the only reason I'm on reality TV is because of Spencer. He's Mr. Hustle. So this homemade video that he makes of Brody Jenner, it piques the interest of the people at Fox. But this is the drama that I can't get over, and I feel like this needs a movie made about it one day. A producer steals Spencer's drive-on pass to the studio, and he basically takes Pratt's role as the primary producer, and Pratt gets knocked down to an executive producer credit when this was really his brainchild. But by the time he arrives at the meeting, it had already been decided that he wouldn't be part of the creative vision of the project. And because of that, in my mind, this is my opinion, I think that's why Princes of Malibu, the show that resulted from that, it only had a six-episode run before it was canceled. I think if Spencer had had more creative control over it, it would have lasted longer. And this was kind of this fork-in-the-road moment because instead of seating as a producer, which is really what Spencer had in mind, he decides to get in front of the camera on the hills. And that clearly, you know, changed the trajectory of his life as John writes in this article. And Brody Jenner, there's a lot of quotes from Brody throughout this interview. It says, Spencer actually told me from the beginning that he wanted to be the most hated person on the planet. And he did it. He really is a master of manifestation, which is funny because Spencer is, of course, to this day, really into crystals, into manifestation. He makes a ton of money off of his crystal business. It's his main source of income at the moment. And I thought this part was so crazy because I kind of vaguely remember this poll in 2011, which is the year I graduated college, that's why I feel like I, you know, this was when I was on Perez Hilton every moment of every day. He was named the second most hated celebrity in America, according to an annual market research poll. He was more hated than O.J. Simpson, who apparently is always on this list and um, was very most likely a murderer, and Casey Anthony, also most likely a murderer, even though they both got off. Um, it writes a woman many believe killed her own daughter, but she was acquitted. Also, she she lives in town. She lives, like, really close to me. I never had a run-in with her, but she's always at the bars. And I just... Not that I want to see her out. It's just odd. Um, and then I thought the author also made a good point here. He says, Pratt's offenses are downright quaint by contemporary standards. Numerous famous men have had their careers ended and raised reputations permanently marred over the past several years due to revelations about their years of bullying, harassing, and abusive behavior, sexual and otherwise. Several Real Housewives stars have been convicted of white-collar crimes. All Pratt ever did was act like a dick on television. What I was hated for wouldn't even make it onto a show these days, Pratt says. These people are literally catching felony charges for embezzlement. And I think that's a really good point. I will say a lot of, you know, what Spencer did I do think was very misogynistic and hateful and rude, but I also can acknowledge that I think he was playing that up for a cam the camera a lot and things were spliced in a way that we weren't seeing any version of reality because the Hill stars, at least ones like Spencer and Heidi, did not have control over the final product that was aired on MTV. Now, this next comment, he got a lot of pushback for. Like, people were pissed about this comment. But I've heard him say shit like this before in interviews. And again, I think he's right. He says, I'm supposed to be Kim Kardashian. Watch all the early episodes of Kardashians. They copied everything Heidi and I did on the Hills. The only difference between us and the Kardashians, I've learned, is you're only as famous as the media conglomerate back bankrolling you. I didn't understand that once Viacom wasn't in the Heidi and Spencer business, it was a wrap on the visions I had for us and our success. Comcast didn't unplug the Kardashians until last year. And then John, the author, adds in that 
the Ringer agrees with Pratt's self-assessment because earlier this year they released an episode of their podcast called Spencer Pratt Walked so that Kim Kardashian could run. And I just think this is so true because I think it's so clear that Spidey, as their, you know, little together name is called, Heidi and Spencer, were at their peak when they were in a huge show on MTV, which is part of the Viacom network. These networks have so much money and back backing behind them. That is why the Kardashians don't get off TV. Like, yeah, they might go away for a little bit, but they're going to come right back because they know if they want to push their products and make sales, they have to stay in the public eye. And if you're just making like TikToks, and even if you have a really loyal following, you're being pushed out to what? Let's say a, a really popular TikToker could have a million followers. Not all of them are engaging. Not all of them are watching every TikTok that comes out. But think of how many viewers you can get if you have a really successful TV show. So I just... I totally agree with this. There's a reason that celebrities want to stay on TV. There's a reason that people who've had past successful careers like Elisa Rinna, a Denise Richards, why they go on shows like The Real Housewives. Because it makes them a shit ton of money beyond their paycheck on the show. And so then he writes, The rage that made Pratt infamous has been replaced by a good-natured boyishness. He's still a fiery, passionate guy. He often speaks in clipped fragments, starting his next sentence before he's finished the first, as if his, wor- as if his words can't keep up with his racing thoughts. Guys, that's, that's what I'm going to say why I'm always tripping over my words. Like, the mouth just cannot keep up with the brain. But the anger seems to have subsided. Talking with him over breakfast burritos, he seems calmer, gentler, at times even a little zen. He loves a breakfast burrito. Um, I love any burrito honestly and I thought this was a cute little story they're in the car together and he gets a call from Heidi and she goes did you drop it off because one of Spencer's chores for that afternoon was dropping off lunch for Gunner who's actually four now which I can't I can't believe because I was listening to him on doing the podcast rounds when Gunner was like first born and Spencer says we did the school director looked at me like I was from another planet dropping off Erewhon smoothies and warm slices of pizza for Gunner's lunchbox and if you know anything about Erewhon smoothies, uh, they're like 17 to $20 for a single smoothie. So this kid's eating good. Um, and then I also love this part because Heidi's calling from set and she's making a PSA about the problem with single-use plastics, which I think we can all get behind that. Like death to single-use plastics, even though I'm guilty of using them all the time. And Spencer says, Heidi and I were saying how funny it is she's doing the commercial because she's all plastic you know, poking fun at the fact that Heidi famously got multiple plastic surgeries in one day. And, you know, she's she got a lot of plastic in those titties. Um, I just, nothing delights me more than this sort of self-awareness and being able to joke about it. And I think that's what Spidey has gotten really good about. And that's why I always find them delightful to speak about on here because they don't take themselves too seriously. And that's something I'm always going to get behind. And then literally the editor of Esquire posted on his Instagram about pushback that they got from this story he says people got mad at us this week over a story we published about dot 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 spencer pratt in case you weren't watching mtv in the aughts pratt was the villain on the reality tv show the hills i don't remember liking him much certain readers didn't seem to like us much for profiling pratt they thought it was beneath us but what these critics don't seem to understand is that esquire has been profiling all sorts of men over its 89 history good bad ugly and of the reality tv variety plus 
Pratt makes for good copy. He's professionally honest about his naked ambition. I'm supposed to be Kim Kardashian, he tells writer John McDermott. It's a good story, but I gotta say, I'm still not sure how I feel about him. You can read it below. I hope you're having a lovely weekend. Thanks for reading, Esquire. So I found this intriguing because he doesn't side with Pratt at all, which I guess is kind of a good stance to take as an editor versus being like shoving it down your throats that you need to like this man. But it's pretty harsh. And I appreciate that Spencer Pratt then posted this apology on his Instagram because I definitely think he abides by that kind of all publicity is good publicity mentality. Uh, And I just think that it's really stupid to say that a reality star is beneath a certain publication. Like that's kind of you know, the stance Anna Wintour took forever, and now look at her. She's basically eating her words, having the Car- every single Kardashian-Jenner at the Met Gala. I just think the sooner we realize that people like uh, social media stars, reality stars, they're part of our pop culture kind of mainstay, and we just accept that, we, we can get over this mentality. And I just think that is for the best. It's just stupid. And as Kenzie just said, it's fucking Esquire. It's not something more esteemed, you know? Like... Again, I think we could all benefit from just not taking shit so seriously. All right, our first cut article of the day. Got to start with a Mia Mercado article. I can't shut up about NASA's nudes. She writes, if love is the universal language and a picture's worth a thousand words, then blasting some nudes into space must be the best way to let the aliens know how horny we are to meet them. And she says, this is what I gather from a recent proposal developed by a group of NASA researchers hoping to send a new message from Earth to extraterrestrials. The proposed message includes a drawing of DNA, a simple representation of a world map, a diagram about gravity, and two very pixelated illustrations of a naked man and woman. Houston, are you flirting with me? Um, So apparently this is not the first time that we've tried to submit pictures of our privates into space. There were ones sent on the Pioneer missions in the early 1970s that included illustrations of a naked man and woman. And... She says, in comparison to these newly proposed images, those seem significantly more graphic because they're clearer, like they're less pixelated. But it's actually kind of the same image, which you should look them up because they're very odd. Like the the men's testicles, like the balls look the same size as the the shaft part. Why am I blanking on? (laughs) As we've established, I'm not great with anatomy, guys. Um. It's just kind of odd, and I I also don't understand why they're naked, because it's not like humans are always walking around naked. So if, if, you know, E.T. came down, he's not going to just see, like, titties out and a dick out first thing when he gets here. Like, he's going to see us in clothes. Well, you don't know where he's landing. Well, and I think the other problem is they don't know what we're going to be wearing by the time, you know, it's going to take an insane amount of time. Um, Apparently, they're shooting it to old stars about 13,000 light years from the Milky Way's galactic center and Earth is about 25,000 light years from the center of the galaxy. So honestly, we we probably wouldn't even look like humans by the time they would hypothetically get this message. And hopefully not because they'd probably be scared of us. They'd be like, <laughs> ah! But again, I just... I, going there? You guys know I always have to cover the niche space content. Like, I'm a NASA girly. So just had to update you on that little fun story. <laughs> Look up the pictures, I'm telling you. I mean, I'll post them in my um my Instagram story if Kenzie remind me to do that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Must we force Dolly Parton to learn about TikTok? Again, by Mia Mercado. She always pulls through for me. We are on the same wavelength. I I can't even describe it. So this week Taco Bell announced that I'm sorry, last week Taco Bell announced that Doja Cat and Dolly Parton are going to be featured in a TikTok musical about the Mexican pizza. 
which was a product that Taco Bell had and then they took away and people were enraged or maybe they weren't and maybe Taco Bell just made it seem like people were, in, were enraged, but I think people actually were. Like, I heard of people being upset about it being taken away. Like, people went feral. And I love Taco Bell. It is the best fast food place for vegetarians, pescatarians, honestly, probably vegans too. But I don't think I've ever had the Mexican pizza. If I have, it was when I was very young. I definitely haven't had it in recent memory. Truly, the Mexican pizza from school lunch really deterred me from ever wanting Mexican pizza again. I think I gladly missed out on that moment in time. You I don't did. remember Mexican no, I never pizza had it. at school lunch? Well, I just never had it. Oh, that was a weird food. It was a <laughs> weird food, man. I just had to pause while Kenzie went on a five-minute diatribe about the downfalls of the school lunch Mexican pizza. <laughs> Okay, so Taco Bell describes Mexican pizza, the musical, as a satire about the harrowing story of those who fought to bring back the Mexican pizza after it was briefly discontinued. And they did put harrowing in quotes when they were describing it. It's going to feature music from Abigail Barlow and Emily Bear, which I've always been a fan of Abigail Barlow because, like, early on in her TikTok days, because she made a really banger song. And it's like, I don't need a boyfriend. You know that one? You probably Heartbreak heard Hotel. it. Heartbreak Hotel. Yes. I know. I was just trying to let people remember which one it was. Oh, I didn't know if they would know it by its name, Heartbreak Hotel. Oh, I was trying to give them an audio representation. Sorry about that. Um, and they actually won a Grammy for their TikTok musical they did about Bridgerton. So I love that they're doing it. I think they're going to kill it. And apparently it's going to feature TikToker Victor Kunda, who I've actually, I'm not familiar with, Dolly Parton and Doja Cat. And I just can't fathom how much this ad must cost. So not only are they hiring Abigail and Emily to write the music for it, but they also have on these huge talents. TikTokers charge a shit ton of money for just, like, posting a TikTok. And then Dolly Parton and Doja Cat. I mean, Dolly Parton's always the moment. Doja Cat is having a serious moment right now. So I don't know. But then... Okay, I'm leaving that clip in of me freaking out because this is literally, I wanted you to see the behind the scene process of what goes on. I've, I'm 33 minutes into this podcast. I've been recording it for an hour and a half because I don't know peace. Oh, and now my messages are going off. Like it's, <laughs> I can't, I'm, I'm losing it. Anyways, back in January, Dolly Parton had a quote about how much she's a fan of the Mexican pizza. And then it got, you know, the thoughts a turn in. I was like, wait, did Dolly already know she was doing this commercial back when she did this interview? And this was like part of her plugging and like a slow buildup because I'm like, hmm, I guess they could have reached out to her after that. There would have been enough time, but a lot of times these contracts do take time. So I don't know. And I would think that Abigail and Emily have been writing this for a while. Okay. So here's what she said. It was in an insider article. I like soft shell tacos, Parton revealed. I like the others, but they fall apart so bad, especially if you're riding around. So I always get a taco supreme with the sour cream and all that and the soft shell. I love that. I get an order of rice and beans and I get mild sauce. I don't like to get it too hot and ruin everything. I appreciate this order, A, and B, I'm also a huge fan of mild sauce because this the is my thing. sauce is no, mild sauce. Okay, okay, excuse me. I... Damn. Okay, so what I was about to say is that the hot sauce is also... <coughs> very mild. It is not spicy at all, but it's not as tangy. It's not as vinegary. And that is why the mild sauce is supreme. And I will stand by that. Also, if it seems like I'm being snippy with Kenzie, as I described earlier, I am in a bad mood and I apologize. Okay. So then Dolly said she used to love Taco Bell's Mexican pizza, which featured ground beef and refried beans sandwiched between two tortilla shells topped with cheese, tomatoes, and pizza sauce. Wait, 
It has pizza sauce on it? Ew. I should have. Okay, I just looked it up because I was like, no way does Taco Bell have pizza sauce because I love marinara as much as the next girl and I would have known about that. It's actually enchilada sauce. So, insider, get your facts straight about Mexican pizza. And when Dolly was asked if she thinks the change should bring it back, Parton's answer was immediate and enthusiastic. I think they should, she said. So who knows? What do you guys think? Do we think the ad came first? Did the interview come first? Well, I mean, I know which ones came first in time, but like, do we think that she already knew she was going to be doing this ad? You feel me? All right, next up, 15 Minutes with Vanessa Hudgens, Ashley Benson, and Rosaria Dawson by Katya Vujic. You might be wondering why these three are grouped together, as was I. Uh, but it's because they came out with their own margarita, like a pre-made margarita mixed situation. I feel like those are really big right now, these kind of like pre-mixed, bougie-looking cocktails, especially canned ones. So it's called Margalicious Margarita, which girlies like could we have come up with something a little sexier than that like a margarita is a sexy drink to me like it's and i love them they're my favorite drink in the world like there's nothing better than a fresh margarita and it just reminds me like sun-kissed the the shower after a long day in the sun feel salt sunscreen they can't do wrong margalicious that sounds like marge or something like margaret i i I'm not behind it. So I had to look up this company um, that it's made by Thomas, Thomas Ashbourne because they're known for Lux Craft Cocktails, the cut writes. The amalgamation of people that this brand makes cocktails for, get ready for it. We have John Cena, Sarah Jessica Parker, and Playboy Cardi, and now Rosaria, Ashley, and Vanessa. Now, you're probably wondering like how this group came to be. So Ashley and uh, Hudgens were in Spring Breakers together, which if you haven't seen it, that's an experience. And then Rosario and Vanessa were in a film called Gimme Shelter. And I appreciate that Vanessa's the connector here. As of late, I've only heard really positive things about Vanessa and how she's just the ultimate professional and... I don't know. That's kind of been the vibe I've gotten from her for years. Again, could be a good PR team, could be true. So Vanessa says that her and Ash met when they were 15 in acting class, and their lives have consistently intertwined ever since. And then about Rosario, she says, I've always loved watching her on screen, and then we ended up doing a movie together where she played my mom. And it, as at this point in the interview that I must point out, because the interviewer did not, that there is only a 10-year age gap between Rosario Dawson is like they why they do that to her yeah that's Hollywood for you that's That's why uh Emmy Roslam and Tom Holland yes but as I found out apparently the director debunked that she is only paying his mom in flashbacks but my point when I made that TikTok or when I talked about that is it is completely normal for a woman who's only 10 years older or less to play someone's woman in a film it it happens again and again and again and there's so many examples of it that I couldn't even begin to tell you all of them Okay, so the next question they were asked was, what gets in someone invited to happy hour? And Ashley says, anyone with fun energy who's there to have a good time. When you're drinking margaritas, you're dancing, listening to music. You're just having a really good time. So if you seem like you're a fun hang, then come on over. And honestly, like, put that on my tombstone. I agree. Come drink some margaritas at my tombstone if you're a good time. (laughs) Then they were asked if they were a margarita, what flavor would they be? And let's see. Okay, so Ashley feels like she would be similar to how theirs tastes, the one they made. I mean, that's a convenient answer. She thinks Vanessa would be spicy, which seems like kind of a 
<laughs> yeah, as Kenzie just said, profiling because of her, um, she, she's multiple ethnicities, actually. Wait, I have to look that up. Hold on. She's mainly Filipino. Okay, yeah, she is French, Native American, Irish, and Filipina, um, on her mom's side. So, again, it kind of seems like she's insinuating that Vanessa Hudgens is Latina, which a lot of people think she is, but she's decidedly not. I like Rosario's answer, because... It's just kind of unique. She says she would be dragon fruit because she likes the sourness, but with a little spice, a little jalapeno, and that sounds delicious. A dragon fruit and jalapeno, I love a spicy margarita. Now, Vanessa says she's a, such a picky drinker, so it's got to be very specific because her standards are very high. So if she goes to a dive bar, she's not getting a cocktail because it's not going to be a quality cocktail, she says, which I actually abide by that too. If I go to a dive bar, I'm getting a high noon, a McUltra, uh, maybe just a simple well drink, like a, a vodka soda with a little bit of um, grapefruit in it, if they have that. You know, so I, I appreciate that take. But since she doesn't give an ex like an answer of what she would be, she doesn't even answer what flavor she would be. Maybe she was also taken aback by told that she would be spicy. <laughs> so then I also love Ashley's answer on this because they're all three asked to describe their perfect happy hour like the environment the drinks the soundtrack the accompanying bar snacks and she doesn't go that deep into it but she says i love dive bars and speakeasies i think for me it'd probably be in new york something in the east village at a cute dive with a bunch of my friends having a good time and i echo that there is nothing better than a cute little east village bar a little wine bar a little cocktail bar ugh Again, I want to hang out with Ashley. I'm I'm down. I'm I'm available, girly. Then the last question, they're asked what they're cheersing to this week. So Ashley says that her niece is turning one. Vanessa says her best friend is performing at Coachella for the first time, which just had to have been huge for Vanessa. Vanessa is the self-proclaimed queen of Coachella, and her friend is named Gigi McGree. And so she says, Gigi McGree was good. And I looked it up, and there's many photos of these two together. They always go work out together. They definitely seem like besties. Gigi McGree is uh, Australian, and when I tried to look up her IMDb, uh, really, all I learned about her was that she caught COVID while touring. So I'm like, girl, we gotta, we gotta update the IMDb. Get your people on that. Um, then Rosario says, "I'm celebrating my daughter's first day on the job today, which is so cute." And they ask, "Well, what she's doing?" And she says, "Oh, she's working with animals. She's working at a Petco in Idaho. Isn't that cute?" And the interview just ends. And I'm like, "Why is Rosario Dawson's daughter in Idaho?" Like, and I, and then I went down this this literal black hole of, of looking up Rosario Dawson's daughter. And I didn't get any answers to this, but I did learn that she was adopted at age 11 back in 2014. And then I discovered that apparently people thought her daughter's name was Lola for the longest time until literally 2021. So seven years after she had been adopted and Rosario finally corrected that her name is actually Isabella. So I thought that was an interesting fact. Okay, as promised, we made it to our blind item. Trying to get through these kind of quickly so I, so I know we're going kind of long right now. So the first blind item, these come from Crazy Days and Nights. As usual, take these with a grain of salt. They're not substantiated in any way. This is not journalism. We're just going to discuss for a moment. So back in August 5th, 2017, this blind item, I'm going to read it through first, and then I'm going to plug in their names. The sister that does not chain smoke or dress in homeless chic and is also still acting has a new boyfriend. Well, a boyfriend that she's milking for PR purposes. The thing is, though, the media, even suck-up tabloids, had a bad experience with her and the foreign-born dual-threat actor. Okay, so let's fill it in. This is about Elizabeth Olsen and I Tom Hiddleston. Elizabeth Olsen 
was apparently dating Tom Hiddleston for PR purposes, but apparently the media, even the suck-up tabloids, had a bad experience with Elizabeth Olsen and Tom Hiddleston. Okay, so flash forward to almost a year later, June 26, 2018, and he writes, It was not a pleasant sight this weekend. Arrangements were made or thought to be made, but this foreign-born, dual-threat, A-list actor who has a superhero franchise did run into that A-minus, B-plus list, mostly movie actress from an acting family. I think a book could be written about that brief couple of months and the secrets that were this close to being exposed on both sides of the equation. Okay, let's reread it. It was not a pleasant sight this weekend. Arrangements were made or thought to be made, but Tom Hiddleston did run into Elizabeth Olsen. I think a book could be written about that brief couple of months and the secrets that were this close to being exposed on both sides of the situation. So I almost felt like these two were kind of diametrically opposed because the first one just says she's milking it for PR purposes, which I'm torn about. I totally believe it because I totally believe that Tom Hiddleston and Taylor Swift were in a PR relationship 1,000 million percent. It's one of the things I'm most sure about in celebrity pop culture lore. But I get the impression that Elizabeth is notoriously private. And to this day, she's never admitted that she dated Tom Hiddleston. Even though there's pictures of them, like, in those kind of blacked-out cars, just the two of them together, which is, to me, notorious that even if you're maybe not seriously dating someone, you're at least casually seeing them, right? Like, like, and she's admitted to going to dinners with him and that they're friendly and whatever. There's just a few pictures of them outside of red carpet things that makes it seem like they were spending non-work time together. But then it makes it seem like there's all these secrets. Like, what are these secrets that were close to being exposed on both sides of the equation? Is it just that they were faking it? But then if they were faking it, you would be more public. You know, that's that's where I'm struggling. Taylor Swift and Tom Hiddleston had a very public relationship, which is what made it so obvious it was PR. Whereas Elizabeth was not being open about it and was keeping it hush-hush. And like I said, to this day, has not substantiated it. There's also a lot of blinds about her with Chris Evans and how they were definitely dating. So I feel like she's very kind of guarded about all of that stuff, which of course she can be, but now it's just made me want to know more, you know, like I, I w- again, would love y'all's thoughts on it because I'm very confused on what's going on with those blinds or if I, if it's just something that's completely going over my head. Okay. We finally made it to our legit shit. And it is one of my favorite perfumes. I'm really picky about perfumes. A lot of them irritate me and I always try to find ones that are, you know, quote-unquote clean because, honestly, I I have eczema flare-ups and stuff and I feel like a lot of fragrances can cause me issues. So, and even though I am having an eczema flare-up currently, I still love this perfume oil and it's very well-priced and it lasts forever. The first time I tried it, I was at this cute little store. I think it was in Philly with Elena and I just love the smell so much that I went and got it later. And it's the Maison Louis-Marie number four, and it is a total kind of vibe of Le Labo's Santal, which I know is really popular, but it's so much cheaper. And to me, I actually think it's a little better because it's just like a little more pure smelling and it lasts on me. And the oil, like I said, just the little tiny bottle of it lasts forever, even if you're using a ton of it. And on that note, um, a lot of their smells kind of remind me of other ones. Cassis, their Cassis smell is almost identical to Diptyque's, uh, base scent. So I just think those are well-priced. And of course I linked them in the show notes. Thank you guys for listening and I'll see you next week. Bye.